Welcome to One of Two Hundred, the New Zealand independent media and politics podcast. I'm joined by my co-hosts Philip and Rusty. How's it going, boys? Smashing, going smashing. Fantastic. Smashing. We're off to a, um, a blazing start. Um, but fair play to us all. We have had some um, robust conversation prior to me turning the recording on, so um, it can't it can't be helped. <laughs> Earlier this week we saw a return of Brian Tamaki and, uh, a, you know, a range of humans. Um, and, I, and I am going to call it a rally now. I, I think leaving the protest language behind, uh, I think we can do that. Uh, yeah, and it was a political rally. It was uh, a chance for Brian Tamaki to announce uh, the advent of his umbrella political party um, to coalesce or maybe not uh a range of minor can we call them conspiracy based parties the ones they've got yes i think you certainly can um i don't i don't think that's unfair i think reactionary populist is the other the other word i tried mm-hmm. to, to use to describe them um because that that's hyphenated that's kind of a yeah yeah hyphenated why not um because that's sort of the the common theme running running through um all of the parties I think Tamaki would like to get, but maybe hasn't got yet, but we can come to that. Yeah. So they, they, some of them showed up, uh, some of them agreed to be part of this new political entity. Uh, they, they ran a, a fake trial. They did a bit of street theater. Um, but this time it was, it was a bit more well-organized from, from parliaments, our side, they were a bit more prepared for it in the wake of the earlier, uh, occupation. Uh, they had concrete barriers and the like up, and the the announcement happened, and it was done, um, and everyone went home. Um, but yeah, yeah, you were you were down there in Wellington, Rusty. What was the yeah. what was the atmosphere like? <sighs> yeah, I mean, it was a completely normal rally. It was, if it wasn't for what had happened in. Uh, February, it would be kind of utterly unremarkable. It's, oh yeah, the Tamakis are up to their old tricks. Um, Yeah, go down and boo them, kind of, so what, move on. Um, I think probably the the first thing to point out is that this was not the broad, confused, um, big tent uh, kind of event that that we had back in, in, over the the summer this was very clearly branded as and attended by you know the the tamaki organization whether you want to call it destiny church or vision new zealand or freedoms nz um the freedom and rights coalition um whatever hat they're wearing that day it was it was overwhelmingly a tamaki event and they were hitting some of their old uh playing some of the hits um it was great loved it to see um a bunch of dudes in, you know, with dark sunglasses wearing enough is enough t-shirts again in 2022. That was fun. Um, but yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's, you know, all of the, the kind of early 2000s acts, uh, uh, that, that, you know, from, from our youth, um, are now doing their, uh, comeback tours as greatest hits bands. Um, and so I think the Tamakis are just doing the same. Um, but yeah, so, so overwhelmingly a, a kind of Tamaki event. And so the kind of, crowd reflected that um and then a few 
stray hangers on um, from the kind of broader Voices for Freedom movement. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, as you see it, a bit of kind of VXR style street theater, um, some some of the least inspiring political rhetoric I've, I've ever heard in terms of Hanatamaki's speech. Um, and then everyone packed in and went, went home. Um, so I, yeah, I think Parliament were right to be prepared. Um, you know, Trevor Mallard and his, his kind of last act um, as, as Speaker of the House, um, you know, had the bollards set up. I think the funniest thing I, I saw was because of the bollards, everything was single entry, like only one person could get through at a time. So you had this massive crowd all trying to then slowly go through like it's the, the gates at the rugby or something. Um, so they were well prepared, I think, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about this. Um, the counter protest um, was more prepared, the, the, the kind of broad, progressive, um, anti-fascist, however you wanted to describe it, um, kind of community in, in Wellington were actually able to show up this time around um, in a way that um, we kind of couldn't uh, during the, the earlier protests, um, which I think was a, a really good sign. But yeah, overall, I think the whole thing was a bit of a damp squib, like, <laughs> which is good. Like it's, it's I, I, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, this movement, um, whatever it, it stands for, is maybe running out of steam that, you know, with the COVID lockdown and mandate um, measures being repealed, that you you no longer have the kind of broad appeal and it's back to sort of the Christian evangelical, um, mostly upper North Island kind of, um, and it has to be said predominantly Maori crowd that um, the Tamaki church attracts. Um, that that message doesn't have the as wide of uh, an appeal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's yeah, that's reassuring to hear because that's how it looks from um, that's how it looks from Auckland. Um, but it's useful to you know have your experience of physically standing in the crowd and taking photos and filming people walk past. That I thought was quite like um, I guess telling because yeah, as you say, it's that that broad church seems to have like lost some of that momentum, some of that energy. Um, and the, the figures you see in the crowd are very much like the motivated tiny minority who will show up to, you know, whatever kind of reactionary protest there is, there's that kind of sector um, who don't seem to have a, an animating political direction as much as just frustration, right? This reactionary kind of animus, I suppose. Um, so you got the, those crowd and then, as you say, definitely just like a Tamaki platform. And I don't know, maybe this is a weakness of, um, Freedoms New Zealand, this new kind of umbrella party that, uh, the Tamaki's announced that if, if the branding comes off as that strongly Tamaki from day one, does that imply a level of, um, buy-in hasn't really been achieved despite all these months of attempt because if there was a genuine kind of connection i mean look um advanced new zealand which was just jamie lee ross did a better job right when they combined with uh the people's party or whatever um they did a better job of giving the appearance of an umbrella organization that had some legitimacy um and then before the tamaki's announced um who had actually been combined into this new umbrella party um, he'd said, I think, four parties initially, 
and then it looks like it's just two and one of them is vision new zealand so it's hardly the um hardly the big step that he was kind of announcing and you know day one saying the the outdoors party which would have been one of the bigger coups i suppose for this on the you know on the micro party scale um is in talks to join and they were immediately like well not really <laughs> so you know all these like leadership ruptures are gonna cause fissures right and as soon as you have any kind of hierarchy this is the problem is that as soon as they have a leader to be mad at they will be so i don't know how you keep an organization like that together for longer than a couple of months i think one of the other interesting things just in terms of makeup um of people down there is that both counterspin and voices for freedom weren't as active um with it as they had been in the earlier occupation um and as much as anything else, it really goes to show that they have different aims. Um, they, they're trying to do different things, um, predominantly in the wider grift space, the multi-level marketing scheme uh, space, uh, and maybe they just didn't see a lot of money in it um, this time around as much as anything else, um, or that it was bad for their brand. Uh, why put themselves at, at risk here? Uh, when they can just be on their forums um, and on Telegram, uh, getting people to buy merch. Uh, and I think we'll start to see the, the paucity of some of the actual political goals as opposed to their money spinning um, over the next six months or so. Um, you know, Counterspin uh, presumably uh, has had a lot of um, attention uh, from the law as well in the last week. Uh, and yeah, may, maybe they're feeling the eyes of the media and law enforcement and the public on them a little bit more uh, than they they had been back when they were just able to operate outside the, the senses of the majority of New Zealanders and just reach their kind of desperate base uh, through Telegram and other other media channels uh, that were willing to listen to some of their more reactionary, um, more violent rhetoric. And I think it's, you know, obviously the, the moment where they burst onto the scene um, earlier this year, they hadn't been defined in the public mind at that point. Um, and I think there was a, a kind of credulity on the parts of... Um, and, you know, honestly, kind of can't blame, I think, ordinary people. I think maybe if you do this as a job, um, you you ought to know better, but um, that they were able to present themselves as this is a specific political point about, um, you know, the government's COVID overreach um, and the authoritarian tendencies that's demonstrating. Um, please don't, please don't Google who Philip Arps is he's not with that, I'm not with that guy, he's just hanging around, like they were able to kind of disavow the, um, you know, violent um, white nationalist elements within their organisation, whereas now people are paying attention to the conspiracist aspects of this. Um, and I think that the other thing that's going on around the movement more broadly is the... Um, you know, campaigns in, in local elections. Um, and 
eyes definitely are on people. I think there are some people, you know, folks out there doing great work to identify individuals running in local elections who think that fluoride in the tap water is turning the frogs gay. Um, that, you know, there are some people out there with perhaps um, kind of the, the funny end of, of um, conspiratorial belief, but also some folks with like genuinely dangerous kind of interest intentions who want to get in and, and start using these organizations for the, their own ends. Um, and I do wonder if that's maybe part of what's behind the fishes that we're seeing. I mean, I think the main explanation is just personality and ego that, um, as you say, once you introduce hierarchy, you need to, in an in a umbrella movement, you need to pick one leader. Um, and Sue Gray thinks it's going to be Sue Gray and Brian Tamaki thinks it's going to be Brian Tamaki. And if they think they can get New Zealand first on board without making Winston Peters leader, um, <laughs> they they have another thing coming. So I think, but apart from just the, the ego, um, I think they are pursuing different tactics. Um, that you know, the expression that's used sort of on the online left about the oh sorry, by the online right is hiding our power level. Um, and I think there's an extent to which the more voices for freedom side of things are trying to do that. It's like not trying to obtain a, a level of mainstream respectability that allows you to be elected to the Waimati District Council or to, you know, a, a local board somewhere. Um, and standing out in front of parliament howling and again cosplaying as as the Nuremberg trials um is not in furtherance of of that yeah. um sorry I was, I was just gonna say um yeah I mean this is the difference this is what happens when every movement moves into like capital p politics right this is the the transitory kind of phase that these issues are, are going to come up and as far as I can see from the outside, there's been no work done on that kind of integrity and like base building in a sustainable way. How do you keep this movement having the energy it needs? Um, this is the problem with having a kind of clashing set of just rage, basically. This is the problem with these kind of right-wing reactionary populist movements. Um, and it's, it's really hard to keep that together, like a lot better organized, bigger, more kind of um, ideologically coherent movements have have died for less you know so it's it's not like it's not something that just happens um and it's it's interesting to see that like as you were saying it's kind of a different focus in different events so and i think that that really says something like quite damaging about their future and the focus on actual elections is always hard right transitioning from a um a, a poetry recital or a, a lap on the um on the parliament lawn into an actual political organization is it's a completely different beast and like takes very different skill sets and different types of sustainable work being done that there's just no there's just no way that it's happening there are two really important points i think being uncovered during this and the first is that electoral gatekeeping is good uh, i think we all agree with that now um actually raise the threshold higher um on, on this basis uh, and the other is that sunlight is the best disinfectant wow um who could have guessed uh, but those points aside, which are, are garbage, um, I, I do want to be clear about that. And, um, and that's why we in the media actually have the most important job, um, and we can justify everything we do by saying we're actually saving society by um, having this conversation is the most important first step. Yeah. Education is actually will yeah, save yeah. us all. Um, like analysis is really important, though, um, and it you know it's played a major part. Um, 
and getting some attention on these groups and how they function. Uh, I think the the points around the local elections are, are really relevant as well, Rusty, because I think their political strategies are different. Um, you know, what uh, Tamaki tries to do and what Voices for Freedom are trying to do are two different things. Um, and Voices for Freedom, you know, we know with Counterspin in particular, and probably Voices for Freedom, there's some outside uh, funding there from Bannon-esque um, alt-right funding pipelines, uh, they're using similar tactics. Uh, it seems like what they're trying to do is replicate some of the Republican-style uh, low-level political capture uh, that happens in the United States. Uh, so going after boards, going after um, regulatory bodies that have a, like quite a lot of specific powers that allow them to shake things up. Um, and you know, the, the thing that they're saying is be ungovernable um, and allows them to do that with much less oversight than if they're on the national stage trying to you know, enter parliament. Uh, so I think that's what we're seeing is a, a differentiation. Um, I'm glad that you know, people in the media have, have picked up on that as well um, and so are doing uh, everything they can to publicize, you know, who these local body candidates are. But I don't think it's, I think we're a little too late to it uh, because we've got a range of positions that are only being stood for by one candidate. They're automatically elected. <laughs> like if if you have many Voice for Freedom people in there and they get into those roles and still continue to want to destroy things, they'll have a go at it. Um, my... My feeling is that some of them are going to get into those roles and go, oh, shit, I actually have a responsibility now. You know, I'm actually like required to make sure that my town has running water um, and resign on their views. I'm required to show up for meetings. What do you mean I have an <laughs> actual job that I'm being paid to do? Um, yeah, I suspect some of them are going to be the, what is it, the dog that caught the mailman um, in, in terms of, how do That's I deliver all these letters? Yeah, exactly. I'm a dog. What do I know? Um, I'm a dog. But I think, you're, I think you're right. Some of them are, you know, just through sheer numbers or random chance or, or wherever, probably are going to meet with electoral success. But I think it's the, 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 the kind of international tactic sharing is interesting because I think it does, you're right, it does seem like a kind of, learning from the approach that the sort of Tea Party extreme right Republicans have, have taken. But I think that's a misunderstanding of the New Zealand political system. I think the, the school boards thing um, is the one that uh, struck me that um, was it, I can't remember which one of them it was, but is it Kevin Alp that's no, running? It, it, no, it's um, Philip Arps. Oh, it's Philip Arps um, running for a, a, a local school board. And it's like, yeah, that's a tactic in America where school boards are like a local government organization that has an entire city schools under it. School boards and boards of trustees in New Zealand are the local school, you know, that these are tight knit kind of organic social communities that will, you know, if some random person who doesn't have a kid at the school just shows up, it's not going to work. <laughs> um, and I think similarly with local government, um, district councils here don't have the same autonomy and powers that um, 
know, or money. Second tier, or money. Um, you know, it's a part-time job in a lot of cases. There's a reason it's sort of small business people um, who have an independent income stream are often the, the ones that run in smaller areas. Um, that there's just not the veto points there, you know, to, to become ungovernable. And I, I would be shocked if any council had a majority of, of these folks on it. And at that point, you know, they're just going to be attending meetings. Yes, they'll have a platform. I, I, I worry that we're minimizing this a bit. I think it is still, you know, a, a worrying trend that I can, I can see their theory of the case. It's like, get in at these levels levels no one cares about um mm -hmm. begin to build respectability and credibility um get a platform to get into the media um you know if a councillor says something you kind of have to pay more attention than just some random poster on the internet um but i think it again it's yeah it's it's poorly targeted for the new zealand context i think yeah um but then again the tamaki's tactics haven't worked historically either um so yeah again um electoral gatekeeping is great and we should have a 10 percent threshold that's i you know <laughs> yeah i think that's a really important point and a great comparison that structural um structural comparison with the united states because you know we see this in the kind of um sovereign citizen weirdos who seem to import their um imagined ideology from uh, right-wing Facebook pages in the States and fundamentally misunderstand the structure of New Zealand society despite having lived here their entire lives. Um, and I think in a similar way, you're right, there's this, they've, they've seen the success of that kind of ground up decades long project um, in the States. But the other part of that is the momentum that I was talking about before, like it takes real organization and determination and ideology to make these things stick. Um, if you're, you know, one, one counselor out of um, a dozen and you get, sure, you get a platform and there's a, there's a risk that that means you can bring more people to your kind of extremist cause, but also it makes you the figurehead that they love to hate. So now, you know, you're more visible and easily destroyed than you were when you were a random poster on the internet. Like everything you say is suddenly people are mad that you're not getting their rubbish picked up on time. It all becomes like very material, very fast when you're in council, right? Um, and these kind of low level, I mean, school boards is even more extreme, like you say, like there's, that's not a smart way to start a political movement in New Zealand. <laughs> um, the legitimacy thing, I think, can get over, over-egged a bit, because I don't think there's a huge amount of respect in any case for local government. people in New <laughs> Not Zealand. even good ones, not even ones who like have the it's world like on their least. shoulders. Yeah, exactly. Right. If any way, if anything, it's a way to lose respect <laughs> and support. Um if you're, if you're, you know, a, a local councillor for a town that's having, um, having issues and you're showing up to protests about, you know, stuff you have absolutely no control over in, in real terms, um, I don't think that's a way to, to build an organisation without that independent kind of structural work going on behind the scenes. And who knows, maybe there are some strategic geniuses in there that we can't see, but it looks completely incoherent. Right? Um, it's much more of like an Alex Jones moment than a movement. Um, yeah moment jokes on them eh? they want to hijack uh local government but since the 80s we've entirely stripped out any resource organization or power from local bodies uh just rampantly so they're jumping in here into like these broken machines um and it's going to come to a halt potentially the one issue 
that I think there is actually genuine overlap is the anti-three waters um, uh, movement mm -hmm. um, or, or tendency, um, because I think, as you say, council's responsibilities have been stripped back. Um, a lot of what they do is kind of less, less, yeah, um, tied to sort of the, the concerns the um, broader anti-mandate movement have, but the three waters reforms showing up to a protest is kind of what a lot of people are expecting local candidates to do about that, that, you know, they see this as variously like government overreach or some kind of, um, you know, racial separatist conspiracy to, to give the pipes over to the iwi or whatever it is they, you know, believe. Um, and so I think there, there, there is a, um, opportunity there for some of the better organized and you know voices for freedom um as, as an organization I, I i i don't want to call them strategic geniuses because i think that's unfair um but they at least understand branding in a way that some of the sort of less hinged um yeah uh parts of the the ecosystem um are well, there's a reason that National and Act are on that anti-three waters bandwagon as well, right? Um, it is probably one of the unifying um, kind of political political concerns, but it's not. It's also not what a lot of these people are running with, um, or at least they don't have the message discipline uh, to to tie it back to there. They're, like we talked about it earlier, but there'll be anti-fluoride kind of stuff tied in with that, right? Um, and as soon as you bring that to the table, uh, you're not really taken as seriously, I, I guess, charitably. Um, I'm, yeah, I, I guess, I guess we'll see. One of the other, you know, risks has been that people are anti three waters, but for local governance reasons, um, have ended up <laughs> sometimes uh, kind of bundled up with conspiracy theorists, which. That's one of like the most irritating things for me is nuance goes out the window. Um, and that's probably if we're talking like the political right wing, um, the electoral right wing, where potential gains are for them as a morass. It's these groups providing enough cover or enough noise and irritation about particular ideas that a softer, and like this is kind of really shitty Overton window stuff. Um, and I'm not convinced by it myself, um, just to be clear about that. Um, for National take a kind of more reasoned stance um, and grab a, a bunch of votes on the back of that. And I think that's, um, to, to shift uh, topic here, I think that's where Luxon's advisors are, are directing him from uh, when he failed to rule out Freedoms New Zealand as a coalition partner uh, earlier in the week, uh, which, you know, on the face of it is just ludicrous. I I have a, I think, a different theory. I'm going with the Occam's Razor answer Ooh. is that Chris Luxon's just not the brilliant tactical mastermind we thought he was. Like... Speak to you, I, who he's thought just, he was? He's just... <laughs> kind of a bit dumb um and i think he's got a pat answer that's been agreed 
um, with the the advisors and and the tacticians and what have you about what you say what you say when you get a question about political um, potential coalition partners is you know we're not going to get into that we're a long way out from the election I'm focused on my own campaign um, someone wrote a dumb joke about oh well ha 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 I'm happy to rule out the Labour Party um, which was you know um, probably the canned line ready to go but he didn't have the agility or, or kind of confidence in his, his own judgment to pivot on the spot and go, oh no, this is not a Winston Peters situation. This is different. Um, I need to just rule them out now. Um, which like David Seymour had the, again, he was wise, you know, able to, to realize that. And it's like, again, it's a low bar to clear. Um, and, and Luxon just wasn't able to, to clear it. That's one explanation. I think it could also be, there is a, you know, a broader tactical um, thinking going on of, look, we don't like the Tamakis or some of the other leaders, but we sure would like to steal some of their thunder and steal some of their momentum. Um, but ultimately, I, if that's the strategy, I think it's stupid because it, 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 again, gives gives credibility and legitimacy to this party who are going to get 3%, maybe, if they do sort of historically well for, for that's our prediction. reaction. That's a prediction. Got you on record now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for, you know, the, the kind of ceiling for reactionary right parties in New Zealand is, blessedly, has been uh, just, just under 5%. And it's, so it's it's odd to me that, that Luxon would want to... Um, yeah, provide any any cover or, or any prospects for them because that's just wasted vote that either him or more realistically the ACT Party would be picking up. Um, yeah, exactly. Even from a tactical level, right? Yeah, I think you're you're definitely right about that. And the um, and you're right that like he's not agile. We've seen him be quite kind of clumsy in response to tactical questions before. Um, and it, yeah, it does. Like I agree. He just he seems to know one line and will will tread it out. And then has to go back to his staff and get a new line fed to him. And then the next day will come out and kind of finesse what he'd previously said. And he can, he can speak kind of reasonably well and convincingly when he has those lines, but he's not, he's not John Key and he's not even David Seymour in terms of the ability to kind of judge the necessity of the moment and respond to it. Right. That's why I think the, the, the latter part of what you said though, Philip, is why I think it was back backroom. I think his advisors workshopped this for whatever reason. And, you know, it's, I think it's stupid as well, um, was because he didn't come out and rule them out later. Um, instead, he had a whole bunch of his MPs on social media uh, running cover for him um, and trying to talk about, oh, you know, we need to debate these people in public and and doing the disinfectant thing. Um, so we saw, I saw Chris Bishop and Simeon Brown at the very least uh, were both out on social running cover for Lux and running cover. Um, and the fact that it's both of those two I think persuades me that it's a coordinated thing, that mm -hmm. this isn't either of them just shitposting or going off script, that you sort of got the two extremes of the party running the same versions of the same line. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like he had plenty of time by Friday to to come out and say, you know, we've I've gone back to caucus or I've gone back to advisors or, or whoever um, and you know, taking the mood of the public. He could have got done John Key, taking the mood of the public. Um, it, it does seem like people don't want us to work with them and we'll rule them out. 
um, that would have been hands down the best strategic move of his career to date um, because it would have drawn that comparison with Keith. And, and, you know, that's all he actually has going for him. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, we know there are some people in his office who are pretty out there. Um, you know, the former New Zealand Initiative uh, people, uh, the people who are in these spaces where some of that more, oh, man, it's hard to see. I can't even use the word extreme now without it meaning, without having connotations, but that more. Um, they're, they're, I, they're true believers. Um, like they, they, they're true believing market revolutionaries. They, they think the 80s, the only mistake of the 80s was not going far enough. Yeah. Um, they're pretty serious, <laughs> you know. Um, they're not the the you know howling moon units um, that you've you've got on on Facebook groups. Um, and I think there is a tension between those kind of two tendencies. Um, yeah. I think is it Simon O'Connor and Tamaki has been pinged repeatedly for um, anti-vax stuff, anti-mandate, extreme, you know, just anti Ardern um, posts, those kinds of things, um, and not in like the normal opposition way. Um, and I think that tendency within the party is um, not looked on favorably by the serious money side of the organization. Yeah. Um, I think it wouldn't surprise me if they try to deselect them, to be honest. Um, but as, as you say, there's the kind of New Zealand initiative um, Markets work um, side of the party, um, you know, party of capital, um, who who are looking for their key fig, John a John Key like figure, and I think this is this is the thing that came out of um, Blue Bloods, the Andrea Vance book, which you know I didn't think was that great, but it's very clear that both the author and the but the party itself are just still nostalgic for the good old days where John and Bill were, you know, um, engaging steady hand on the tiller and they're still trying to find a way to recreate that magic. And I think, yeah. And certain, certain people thought that Luxon was that guy. And I just think not. we're, we're just going to spend a year learning that he's not, he's not cutthroat in the way that he was. And it means that when his, um, his office tells him to do something, he just does it. He's like, oh yeah, this must be the best. They, they're doing the research. Like as a CEO might, right? Like CEO has a, a, a board um, behind them, a, a range of managers who will be doing this work and giving them the stuff that they need to say. They, they stand up and they say it and they're convincing and they wear a suit. Um, where Key understood that there was a direction, but it had to be palatable to the public. Luxon does not. So you've got these true believers in his um, in his inner circle, not MPs necessarily, but the people kind of giving him tactical advice, who want to see things go pretty quick, um, who have very determined ideas uh, about how things should be and how those things should be done, um, mm. and he is incapable of saying no. Uh, yeah. that's not going to work in this case because he's not a politician. Uh, and like, I think it comes down to that to a large extent. And I think that's the diff the other difference from Key. Is Key had been in Parliament for five years by the time he rolled Brash. He actually learned how to do the job. <laughs> um, 
and I think it would it'll be fascinating in 20 years when someone does the the retrospective I think Luxon moved earlier than he wanted to or his supporters wanted him to but he, he didn't have a choice like Collins was about to destroy the party um and so he's been thrust in without experience without learning you know how politics is different from from business um and yeah it's it's why we've just seen repeatedly over the last few months um in, in different contexts just like basic poor party management or poor message discipline yeah which is interesting right because some of that stuff is the reason that his supporters um and his kind of outriders i guess in the party were, were saying that he'd be the next great leader is that that's the kind of stuff he'll be good at like leadership stuff um unity brand building um consistency but yeah politics isn't business and i think people have maybe made too much of it but um also you know the, the background difference between a ceo in big institutions and keys kind of investing background right just that necessity of understanding the reality of, on the ground and how trends are changing um and listening to people is very different in those two like positions of responsibility um yeah pro i think probably the bigger point is what you said that he just he's not a politician like he doesn't he doesn't fundamentally understand the job yet um and that probably would have taken another two or three years that he didn't he didn't have um and it shows the kind of the moonshot the moon unit moonshot if you if you will um that he was thrust in so early but yeah and also i think the the point around kind of mainstreaming and internalizing into those big parties some of the more kind of radical reactionary kind of um energy is always where the bigger risks are right in a um electoral democracy like this i mean look at the like the tory example in the uk um it's like the first thing i think of where it just it can work quite well if you scare the members of a big center-right quote-unquote center-right party enough that they feel that they have to take increasingly radical positions and out outdo each other over a period of time you can build that consistency um obviously in the uk there was a lot of money sloshing around there and it was a very kind of um, media directed kind of feeding frenzy so yeah it'll be interesting to see how the media in new zealand reacts because they've been you know a lot less disastrous we complain about the media a lot here but when you start comparing it to the uk i really still think we're in a better position yeah this is why um the, the right wing always call the media left wing here, right? I mean, it, it's, part of it's because they have no actual objective frame for what is right and left wing, um, and they just feel hard done by. I mean, the media here is is very much neoliberal status quo, which is fine. Like, oh no, I say fine. Like, it is a thing. It exists. It's yeah, 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 but it's not. It's not left wing. Um, and it's wrong. It's not. It's not illegitimate. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a useful way of thinking about it. Um, but we we don't have um I fuck I I hate blaming everything on Murdoch, but we don't have anyone outside a couple of opinion writers who consistently holds water for the National Party and is both supporting them electorally as well as pushing them electorally. Yeah, and it, it's easy to blame Murdoch. I think the more structural explanation is just it's not worth the money to try to influence New Zealand politics. Like it's not, and it's, a, it's a serious point, right? Like an investment in kind of media control and ownership or in party democracy in the UK or the United States is an economy measured in the trillions. 
in in New Zealand. Um, you know, no one's fucking with Fonterra anyway. That's the biggest part of the economy. Um, what's the point in in doing the kind of thirty year well-funded ideological movement that it that it actually takes to to bring it back to what we were saying about sort of the the voices for freedom side of things they're looking at like the successful end of of this project not the kind of beginnings um of of the 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 money and the dedication that you need to to pull that kind of thing off so i think in yeah new zealand's case it's just not worth it um murdoch's like the murdoch's briefly owned Fairfax, uh, well, sorry, not Fairfax, the, the stuff catalog. Um, and now that's, uh, I think they're, they're tending towards becoming an employee owned co-op or, or some model, um, which is, I think, you know, a good outcome. And it's, a, um, it's an interesting model. I think the Herald genuinely will run cover for, for National. I don't think we need to be afraid to say that in terms of their issue selection in terms of the voices that they give oh yeah to but definitely like mainline calls. some um mps takes yeah into their yeah. pieces right yeah and um you know that's that is what it is um they have a particular set of beliefs and i think the one thing i would say that's healthier about the uk than here is that media organizations are not afraid of admitting that you know it's it's common practice there for papers to endorse a party unless they're the bbc unless they're the bbc um yeah true um but who just you know hide their ideological priors while constantly platforming you know more and more extreme um spokespeople for the tory party but whatever um yeah i think in new zealand that 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 kind of um is not the dumb thing and so you have to keep up this pretense of um perfect neutrality um which gets you into trouble it gets you into situations where you talk about what a great guy uh brian tamaki is when you when you meet him in the fish and chip oh shop. jesus yeah i know and it's it's maybe he is a great guy i don't give a shit he's no really no but he's, he's definitely not a great guy yeah you, you had a nice interaction with him you had a comfortable yeah. interaction with him even yeah um that 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 kind of perfect neutral viewpoint um again can, can it's an instinct that's good in some circumstances but that can misfire a bit like luxon's um kind of canned lines is these movements are different to kind of normal inside the bounds right-wing politics what they want if they are successful is incredibly scary. And I think that's, you know, there is a, a crying wolf aspect. And I, I'm probably as guilty of this as, as anyone else, right? Um, no one on this podcast had... is ever guilty of anything, sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, is, is uh, yeah, you know, being genuinely anxious about some of what we're seeing, um, but leaping immediately from that to, oh my God, this is the Reichstag fire um, is, is probably not helpful. But I think it... Um, yeah, still need to be very aware um, of, of the direction that these people want to take things. And more importantly, and I think to, to bring it back to, to Luxon's reaction, the thing, the the nightmare scenario for me is not Brian Tamaki or um, Sue Gray 
getting into cabinet because I just don't think that's ever going to happen. It's what it does to primarily the National Party, but to a lesser extent, the ACT Party, because they are going to be in government um, at some point. And if they are, if the coalition and kind of the energy that they're building off of is this um, kind of populist rage against the, the system um, because of what it's done and is looking to find convenient scapegoats um, for that, um, if you're brown or queer or on the left or you know an environmentalist that's you're gonna be, <laughs> that's who the the target's going to be right um and that's that's the scary scenario and that's why i think luxon sh we shouldn't just like um critique luxon's tactics here i think it is important that people are condemning his decision making because it um yeah it's it's a worrisome sign. And I think there are some people in, in National who are doing that for tactical reasons. I think, you know, I have my beast with Matthew Hooten and some of his analysis, but I think it's very clear that, you know, from his columns that some, some people of his tendency um, don't, don't want to hitch their cart to the um you know don't don't want the the reactionary populist rocket fuel yeah the actual um, the actual liberals like yeah they're actual liberals who think that you know the way to achieve their political project and you know they they have a lot in common with the kind of again nz initiative um worldview but they think it's some kind of updated version of of the key approach um which is why i'm like quietly Again, not predicting this, but I, I could see them embracing the Opportunities Party more than they have previously, because I think they mistakenly um, see them as sort of this the centralizing United Future-like um, organization, which I think is unfair to talk to, to cast them that way, but that that's a more viable kind of support coalition to pull together than um, this you know, um, coalition of the unwilling or whatever um, you want to call them um, around the, the Tamakis or Voices of Freedom or the Outdoors Party. Um, yeah. So, yeah, what were we talking about? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's interesting, right? Looking forwards and as the, um, as the national level election um, approaches, it's going to be harder to avoid these, these conversations about what will the country look like after an election? And if, um, let's say... National and Act remain at least, you know, if not in ascendancy, then polling pretty strongly. Um, then do they have any other friends? Because it's not immediately obvious that would be the case. Um, I mean, Winston Peters is being very anti-Labour right now, but he's always anti-the government. That doesn't mean anything. Um, if he were polling 5%, I'd be, you know, not at all surprised to see him go back into government with Labour as opposed to with National. If that was an opportunity that would net him uh one singular more bauble than the alternative um yeah i mean there's there's no one right on the horizon for them top will be an interesting one um i can't imagine them hitting five percent but there's maybe an outside chance that raf maji could win um elam alam how do you pronounce that Ilam. Ilam. um yeah which would be an interesting kind of spanner in the works because you know he also i don't know how he's going to work with the national party He's, as you say, like top isn't United Future. No. 
but it's, they can they can play that off a bit better though right um than than the greens might be able to they they can be that teal party um should should they wish to brand themselves that way because other than gareth morgan's forays no one really has an understanding of of what they're doing um at, at this point i my my inclination has always been for them to try and steal stuff from from act um and kind of hijack some of that libertarian stuff um you know with actual libertarianism um but their focus has has always been because you know this is part of the purpose of top is to um take votes off the greens in the form of uh environmental urbanists um or, or technocrats uh and if they don't move on from that they're not going to get many more votes honestly um they they need to really be focusing somewhere else um because the greens by and large i think have uh, their base tied up for, for all of the angst that it causes, and this comes back to what you were talking about, Philip, around kind of movement building, that the, you know, various forces on the right don't have, is that you've got a kind of real organic connections between people in a, in a movement that will see you through kind of ructions and, you know, very firm disagreements about policy and tactics. To, to hold the thing together, um, which, yeah, I think, yeah, if, if, and sliding off to talking about top party tactics here, but I think the people are looking to abandon supporting Labour. I think that, that that's that been clear for, and it, it was never sustainable to, to, for them to remain at 55, 60% at one point, that they are shedding votes as you know, they make decisions that cumulatively are unpopular, even if they're the right thing to do. Um, and picking up some of that kind of, well, I don't like Ardern anymore, but Luxon seems like a hot mess and I'm not an act party voter. I think there's a lot of votes there. Um, all other things equal, those will just flow either to the National Party or um, out of um the the um you know turnout um but yeah i think the the next six months to a year in terms of what direction things are heading in and kind of some of the decisions that um national act make about um their tactics now that you know the 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 extremes of inflation are behind us that they're not just going to be able to rely on a kind of latent unpopularity around the government i'm sure that um you know the budget next year to the extent that grant robertson is physically capable of um spending up large um there will be something in there i don't know if it's dental i don't know what it is but it's there has to be something in there for, for them yeah. to like tie down the election otherwise yeah. it is a coin flip i think yeah, and I and but it's gonna you know being in opposition's hard and it's gonna get get harder for them and what tactics they choose and what messages they go after what coalitions they look to build, um, yeah I think has has consequences um, and I think that's the sort of that's why some of what we saw on Tuesday or, or what we saw back in in, in February kind of can matter is because it eventually it 
you know, it was an entryist movement in the UK and in the, the, the US that eventually kind of, you know, took it, well, not took over these parties. These parties chose to allow themselves to be taken over because it's the only way to get electoral backing for a fundamentally kind of minoritarian, um, you know, pro-business extractive ideology. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And they haven't done it here yet, but they might. Yeah, exactly. There's that um, sort of, it sort of sits uncomfortably, right? The responsibility of how that works because the the individuals that get profile as, you know, picture, picture a world in which um, Voices for Freedom and the Destiny uh, Freedom Freedom and Nerds Coalition, whoever whoever's in it, you know, on the day, um, managed to have some sway and pull the National Party um, towards these kind of reactionary points. Um, the the individuals who would get looked at for that would be people like Tamaki, right? That would be the guy in the news. But that 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 person's decision fundamentally makes less difference to the national direction, both you know, big and small in national d- direction than, you know, backroom operatives in um, Luxon's office who are making these kind of strategic calculations. Um, and it would be nice to see a little bit more um, emphasis on those people. You know, chief of staff is like one of the most important roles in politics and they get almost no media um, and therefore almost no kind of public accountability for the way that that, the way that, that person can direct a party. If, if there are kind of the level of free market radicals and extremists, and I'm happy to call them extremists, they're, they're also extremists, right? They're, Just in a different way. Yeah, different no, type of extremism that Wellington's a lot more comfortable with. Um, I hope you don't take that personally, Rusty. Uh, but you know, it's the kind of it's the kind of extremism that you can have uh, lunch with and not get slurred at, um, but with you know an extremely disastrous uh, plan for the country. And if those people are, are comfortable making those kind of coalitions, that's really concerning. So, yeah, you might be right, Carl, that um, the fact that he has like not resiled from those views at all says something about the uh, the deliberate kind of direction trajectory that his staff are wanting to push him in. Um, and if so, that's that's really concerning that that's like an opening that they're willing to leave because it's not just about this um, this situation, right? That shows a willingness to slide. Uh, that way and out of expediency which is like almost almost more concerning it is it is a a situation where christopher luxon said i'd consider a coalition with um, brian tamaki because whilst we we differ we you know both think you know christian family values are, are fundamental to um you know kind of a good society um i would disagree with that but i would respect it more than this just kind of than the the most cynical answer possible which is i don't like them but i want their voters um or look i'm covering my bases in case we need a coalition partner um yeah it's again i think i still never attribute to conspiracy what can be explained by incompetence but um yeah I think, yeah, for me, expediency is like top tier incompetence, right? Um, because it is, we want this short-term outcome. Uh, we're not thinking about the consequences of that. Um, and if it's not coming from a, a values basis, uh, you know, 
which is I, I'm going to say is incredibly charitable um, to to say that's where any of this is coming from. Um, then you can't tie it back to anything. Like it it could literally go anywhere. It's like not just flipping a coin; it's throwing a coin off into like the the back room somewhere, and who knows what's going to happen to it. Um, and just strategically, that's worrying as much as anything else. Um, I, I guess we're just about coming to the end um, for the episode today. Uh, just one last question to you both. Do you like having freedoms? I'm against freedoms as yeah, a good. rule. Um, but if the freedoms that I can get that other people can't get, big fan. Um, love to not be constrained by, uh, by laws that apply to other people. Uh, you know, no, fan of freedoms, less convinced about rights, I think, you know, but coalitions um, require agreeing agreeing with people or, or supporting people you disagree with. Um, yeah, I guess to make maybe one kind of final slightly serious point is I still think that the overwhelming message and kind of what holds together all of these parties is a really adolescent idea of what freedom is. Like, I, I can't put it in any other terms than it's like, fuck you, mum, you're not going to tell me what to do. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really the, important point to make. If you look at the the signs, the things that get yelled at you, like that's that's where it's coming from. It's just this simple idea that freedom is the absence of constraint, not something that we build collectively through kind of social and political systems, which is, yeah, really sad that so many people have, have been pulled into um, believing this. Um, but I'm encouraged with how disappointing the turnout was and the kind of... Disappointing for them, for them. Disappointing for them. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, disappointing from, from their perspective um, and that maybe now that you know the Auckland lockdown is a year behind you know six months behind us that the the acute energy that they they had previously um has has abated so yeah yeah I think this in particular is giving a clearer and clearer sign to our to our media and politicians that face value reporting just isn't cutting it anymore mm. uh because it, it's just it's being used in the most the most overt way uh, to, to brand something as something that's not. Uh, and if you if you keep publishing like their their PR as headlines, if you keep publishing like the way they brand themselves without analysis, without critique, we're in a pretty stupid place where I literally ask my podcast hosts if they like freedoms um, and we have to pretend that we do when we're all left-wing authoritarians. <laughs> my, so the other thing is is with the, with the protest signs it's like a lot of what they're saying i'm like man i wish you know i wish i wish we had a government with um that level of kind of motivation and attention to to things we are not that organized yeah. folks ability to yeah. do stuff yeah yeah well luckily we're here to give that critique um we're here to do that analysis from a left-wing point of view uh very little of that happening out in uh, normal media land, you need to get the real cracked stuff um, here on 1 of 200 if you, if you want to hear it. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, that's been another Current Events episode from us. Uh, thank you to Rusty and Philip for joining me this morning. Cheers. Thank you. Good times. And if you want to support us, if you want to support independent media in New Zealand, um, left-wing independent media, the Patreon link is down in the summary. Uh, 
come and hang out with us on Twitter. Uh, we've got the at one or 200 podcast handle that you can come and engage with us on. Uh, always happy to hear requests um, and Philip will answer all your queries, no matter how trivial. Also pop over to one or 200.nz. Uh, we've had a few articles up there recently. Um, yeah. Always interested to hear what you think. Um, share, like, subscribe. We'll be back at some point in the next week. That's one or 200. See you later. Relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism